Well, good morning, everyone. It is really great to see you at the Vista today. Um, as always, whether this is your first time with us or whether you are a regular attender, a member, we're always grateful that you've chosen to spend a little bit of your morning with us in worship um, to our King. Um, if we haven't met, my name's Dave. I'm one of our pastors. Uh, we're going to be in Revelation 5. If you want to uh, go ahead and begin to turn there, Revelation chapter 5, we're continuing our series, The Apocalypse, our study, our walkthrough. The, uh, the book of Revelation, the last book in your Bible. And I'll just be honest with you, from here on out, it's going to get a little bit weird. It's going to get a little bit weird, all right? Before we get into our text, a couple things I wanted to just let you know about, remind you of. Um, one is that this is Hunger Action Month. Um, you've probably heard Jonah, our missions pastor, uh, talk about this in the pre-service announcements or at the end of the service. Um, Hunger Action Month is where we try to shed some light on food insecurity in our community. Um, there are those that live and work and play among us that do not know um, every day, day in, day out, week in, week out, where their next meal is coming from. Um, that is a reality, uh, even here in Bell County. Um, and so as we approach the holidays, Hunger Action Month is um, it's us basically uh, saying we want to help do something about that. So we've set a goal of $18,000. Um, that, we're going to, that we're going to give um, to help in that regard. Jonah tells me we're about 40 to 50% um, of our goal right now with a few weeks left. And so I just want to encourage you, if you would like to give, um, you can go to the vista.tv slash hunger and you can help us reach and even exceed that goal. Uh, we would be really, really grateful um, if you could do that. And then I wanted to mention, this will be my last Sunday preaching for a few months. Uh, the elders, I, I kind of casually threw this out in a sermon a few weeks ago, that the elders are giving me a sabbatical. And a lot of you have sent me emails, uh, stopped me at football games, uh, really wanted to make sure everything is okay, right? Is everything okay? What is sabbatical, right? What does that mean? And so I just wanted to, you know, I, I, I say put everybody at ease, or if you don't like me, maybe you, maybe you were hoping that it would be longer, but... Uh, <laughs> Everything is good. Everything is fine. Um, everything is, is, this isn't one of those things where like, you know, at some churches you hear the, the pastor is going on sabbatical and then like a month later you find out the real reason <laughs> that, he, that he left. That is not the case here. Um, everything is really good. Um, I would very much like to be the pastor here for, uh, for a long time, for many years. And I think, I think our elders would also like me to be the pastor here for a while. And so this is something in order to just kind of prevent, uh, prevent burnout and, and help ensure um, that, that I and our other staff down the road um, can be here for the long haul. It's something that, uh, that they are blessing me with. I'm very grateful. I don't know what it's going to be like. I've got a few plans during my sabbatical. Um, I'm meeting with a consultant uh, several times just on church leadership and, 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 and vision and things like that. I'm going to get to visit some other churches. Pastors don't get to do that a whole lot. Um, we tend to have to be at our church, right? And so it's, I've got friends that are pastors. I've never been to their churches. And so um, it'll kind of be an opportunity for me to, to visit some new places. And I'm excited about that. Uh, my wife and I may get away for a weekend. It's just, I'm excited about taking a break. Um, but I appreciate those of you that have asked. Um, so in light of this being my last Sunday here, here's my gift to you. My gift to you is going to be a short sermon, okay? There's two reasons for that. <clears throat> One is that I want you to like me. So while I'm gone, I want you to be missing me. I want you to be going, hey, when's that guy coming back that preached the really short sermon? When's that, when's that happening? Okay, I want that, right? The other reason is that we're in Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation 5, it's not, it's not complicated. It's not like a really complicated text, but it is a pretty dramatic scene that is playing out. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through Revelation 5 with you, and then I want to leave some time at the end of, um, at the, end of, the, of the service 
I want us to kind of practice Revelation 5 a little bit together. You'll see what I mean as we get into the text. I want us to save some time to, to, do, to do more of that, okay? And so, uh, Revelation chapter 5, um, Austin preached chapter 4 last week, and the setting is John is getting a glimpse, a vision into heaven for a minute. He's getting a glimpse into the throne room of heaven, okay? And in chapter 4, the central theme is the throne of God and God seated on the throne. Um, the worship is uh, it's to God himself who is seated on the throne. That is kind of the central theme of chapter 4. As we get into chapter 5, what you're going to see is this shift that takes place, and the central theme becomes the Lamb. The central theme becomes Christ. And really, from here on out in Revelation, Christ, the Lamb, becomes the central focus, the central theme. And so Austin was right when we started the series. We said, look, if you're going to Revelation to try to unlock some mystery or discover some secret code about when Jesus is coming back, um, if you're looking for verses to validate some pre-drawn theological conclusion that you have come to, you're really missing the point of Revelation. Because Revelation is a book that is primarily about Jesus. It is about Jesus. And so we're going to see that in chapter 5. The focus begins to shift to the Lamb and what the Lamb has done and worship of the Lamb. And it's really going to be that way throughout much of the rest of Revelation, okay? And so here we go, Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, continuing John's vision into the throne room. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who, who was seated on the throne, so God, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Um, and so God is on his throne, and he's got a scroll in his right hand. And that scroll, I did a lot of reading this week about the scroll. What does the scroll, what's in the scroll? What does the scroll mean? What does the scroll contain? And essentially, um, in that day and time, they would, they would use scrolls written front and back, sealed uh, with a lot of seals, for things like deeds and contracts. Um, a plan is another, another word you could put around it. So think of it this way. In God's hand is um, it's essentially like a deed to the world or uh, a contract uh, for all of humanity, with all of humanity, or a, a plan. It's God's redemptive plan for, for the world, okay? Um, essentially, you could look at it like this. Um, in the scroll contains the hope of all mankind and all creation, okay? God has a plan, and in that, in that scroll is God's redemptive plan for the world, Okay? Um, then we see in verse 2, so then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to look into it. If there is no one worthy to open up, enact God's redemptive plan, then we are all in a lot of trouble, right? All of creation is marred, fractured, and broken by sin. Um, in, in Genesis, we read that God was the creator, and God created a perfect world where everything was in harmony and everything was as God intended it to be. But by Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the equation, right? And when sin enters the equation, Scripture tells us that all of creation is, is, is messed up. All of creation is broken by sin. In fact, Romans 8 tells us this. Romans 8 says, all of creation yearns and eagerly awaits 
redemption, including our own bodies, including us. Like, I don't need to tell you that you're broken today, do I? Like, I think instinctively we know that about ourselves. Like, I don't need to tell you that everything is not right about you. Like, I thought about this exercise where you look at the person next to you and go, hey, you're messed up. And they could look right back at you and say, yeah, so are you. And that's all true because we know instinctively that something is wrong, something is broken, that everything about me is not as it should be. And unless someone is worthy to take the scroll to, to open up God's redemptive plan, then we're all in a lot of trouble. So the angel asks a very good question. Who is worthy? That's really the central question of chapter 5. Who is worthy? Who is worthy? And at first, it appears that no one is worthy. So John starts to weep, starts to cry. No one is worthy. We're, if no one is worthy, then we're all bound to stay in sin and brokenness for all of eternity. But look what happens next. Verse 5, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So very clearly, this is messianic language talking about Jesus. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Okay, talking about Jesus. Finally, the elder steps up and says, John, you don't need to cry anymore. There is someone that's worthy. He's worthy because he has already conquered. He has already conquered. And so he tells him to look for, the, again, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, look at the next verse. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw not a lion, but I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Okay, so let me unpack this for just a second. The, the elder tells John to look the lion of the tribe of Judah. But then when John looks, he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb, right? He sees a lamb. And I love the language here. He says, I see a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Okay, so I don't know if you're familiar, but when animals get slaughtered, they don't tend to stand up, right? Like, like a lamb that's been slain is usually dead with just blood all over the place, but yet he says he sees the lamb as though it had been slain, but the lamb is standing, right? You know why? Because Jesus was the lamb, and that Jesus that was slain is no longer dead, right? We celebrate that at Easter. He died on a cross as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but he didn't stay there, right? We celebrate this at Easter. Three days later, he gets up and he walks out of the grave and he is very much alive today. This is what se separates Christianity from every other world religion. Our Savior, our King, is very much alive. And so John sees the vision of the Lamb who bears the marks of being slain, and yet he's standing because he is very much alive, right? It's also important to understand that Jesus is referred to as both a lion and a lamb. Lion and a lamb. This imagery of Christ, um, a lion which is symbolic and represents power and might and authority and sovereignty, right, on the one hand, but also he's a lamb representing the gentleness and the meekness, the service and the sacrifice that Jesus, that Jesus paid. Jesus is both lion and he is lamb, okay? And then what causes a lot of people to think Revelation is super weird is some of the other language and imagery. Um, so 
you read as you read it, you're like, okay, a lion, a lamb. But then all of a sudden you read like, wait, the lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. And then it's like this weird creature that we've never seen anything like this. And so, um, but I would just remind you, John is trying to articulate and put into language um, some things that represent who Jesus is. So horns um, always represent power. Um, Again, seven is like this, this number of completion. And so what he's trying to say is Jesus standing there as the lion and the lamb, he has got all power and all authority. Then he says he has like seven eyes and that represents knowledge and wisdom. Jesus has all wisdom and all knowledge, okay? Then it talks about the seven spirits, which um, there's Old Testament references there that they would have understood, but essentially it's talking about the Holy Spirit of God. There's like a sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit um, going out into all the earth, okay? And so uh, don't, sometimes again, if we read, if we read uh, Revelation, and we get caught up on, well, what does, what does the creatures mean? And what does the seven horns mean? And what, again, it's not that that's unimportant, but it's not most important, right? It's not the most important thing. Basically, John has this vision, God on the throne with the redemptive plan for all of mankind in his, in his strong right hand. And only someone that is worthy can take the scroll. And there appears to be no one worthy until an elder says, ah, but there is someone worthy, someone who has conquered, someone who has already conquered, okay? And, and basically, he looks, instead of seeing a lion, he sees this lamb in front of him. And then in verse 7, uh, this is kind of the, the, the big crescendo, if you will, of the text. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Jesus goes and he takes the scroll because he alone is worthy. And then the rest of chapter five is basically a huge worship, worship service that breaks out to Jesus. Um, and it's all about expressing the worthiness of Christ. The whole rest of chapter five is this worship service that builds and builds and builds. And it's all about the worthiness of Jesus, okay? And it, again, I would remind you, it's not worship based on what Jesus might do or will do one day. It's worship based on his worthiness because of what he has already done and what he has already accomplished, right? When Jesus goes to the cross and he dies on the cross in your place, in my place, for our sin, the last words that he utters from the cross is, it is finished, right? There is no work left to be done. They just said that he's worthy because he has conquered. Jesus has already done the work, right? This is what makes him worthy. No one else was perfect, spotless, blameless. No one else could have done that work except Jesus. He is the only one that is worthy. That's the big idea of chapter five. Jesus alone is worthy. Jesus alone is worthy. Church, anything or anyone else that you put all of your hope in will ultimately at some point let you down. Jesus is the only one that is worthy of all of our praise. That's what Revelation 5 is about. Look at the way the rest of this unfolds, this worship service that kind of builds here. Verse 8, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So just really quick, we don't burn incense in our worship services, but back in the Old Testament, during the, the temple, the tabernacle, they would always burn incense. The priest would burn incense um, as they were hearing the prayers of the people, confessing their sin, and then as they were making sacrifices, there would be incense burning. And the idea is, it tells you there, that is the prayers of the saints, that is the prayers, that is the praise of God's people rising up to him. 
um, the idea in the Old Testament is that it's our prayers and our praise to God are like a sweet fragrance, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And so whenever you, you hear that, there's a song we sing where it talks about, let incense arise. You might, if you're new to church, you might be like, that's a strange lyric um, for church, but that's what it's talking about. It's talking about the prayers and the praise of God's people rising up to him, okay? So then this, here's what they declare. They sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and, and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then we see it build. So it was the creatures and the elders. Then look at 11. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands. That's language basically saying they were too numerous to count. Too numerous to count. You see the angels join in the worship service, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Okay. Verse 13, then the service gets even bigger. Okay. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped, right? We get this picture into heaven of this massive worship that's taking place. When you think of heaven, I don't know what you tend to think of. I don't know what image comes to your mind when you think of heaven. Primarily in the Bible, there's, there's really two ways that heaven is often um, spoken of. And one of them always centers around food. I love that, right? Love that. It's like a, like a banquet table, a wedding feast, a dinner party, right? This is this imagery that, man, it's going to be like this giant dinner party. Um, it's going to be awesome. The other way heaven is mentioned and spoken of is worship to Jesus. Worship all the saints, all the angels gathered in, in, in worship. Again, the worship is about expressing the worthiness of Christ, that's what all this song is about. All their songs are singing. They're about how worthy Christ is, that he alone is worthy to receive honor and praise and glory because he has conquered. He has conquered. I love this picture. Again, Revelation 5 is not overly complicated, but it's this, it's this really dramatic scene that is, that is playing out. This dramatic scene that John gets to see and he gives us a glimpse of. And as Jordan mentioned as we started our service, right? We get to join in. We get to join in and worship along with the saints and the angels and the elders and the creatures and everyone that is giving glory to Jesus. Here on this, uh, on this earth, in this life, when we gather together corporately as the church, we are joining in a heavenly chorus, singing and worshiping our Savior and our King, right? And so what I wanted to do as we wrap up our services, I want us to practice Revelation 5 a little bit, right? Jordan and the band are going to come back out. And we're going to worship a little bit more. We're going to sing songs that are essentially about Revelation 5. You'll recognize the language of the songs is Revelation 5. That's where it comes from. And we're going to, we're going to stand and we're going to sing and celebrate and we're going to declare the worthiness of our Savior, right? And if you want to receive communion during this time, you're welcome to do that. You can make your way out of your seat. You can go to one of our communion stations. And again, it's about remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God who spilled His blood for you, right? 
If you want to talk or pray with someone, you can, you can do that. We're wel- you're welcome to do that. But if you are able, um, I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing and celebrate the worthiness of Christ. So I'm going to pray, and then Jordan and the band are going to come back out, and we're going to worship together. Father, thank you for today. We thank you for who you are. Jesus, we thank you that you have conquered. You have conquered Satan, sin, death, and the grave, that you are the lamb that was slain, but you are very much alive. Jesus, you alone are worthy to take the scroll. And uh, because of that, God, we don't have to live in our brokenness and our sin for all of eternity. And so, Father, I pray today that we, as your people, as the church, that we would celebrate you, that we would worship um, God in, in spirit and in truth, declaring that you alone are worthy today. That is our heart. That is our cry, that we join in, um, God, in, in heaven with the singing and the worship. And so, God, I, I pray, um, God, that you would stir our affections for you today um, and remind us of your great sacrifice. Remind us, God, that you have taken the scroll. And no matter how difficult life becomes, um, God, you have already conquered. You have already conquered. We pray these things today in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.